Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and a very happy Father's Day weekend to all the dedicated dads out there. This is a discussion among foodies, everything from chef secrets to culinary trends, restaurant news to kitchen gossip, the best meals, the best chefs, and the best inspiration. I cover food and wine, health and travel, and living the best life. So consider me your culinary coach and please mark your calendars and be sure to tune in every weekend. I'm delivering deliciousness. And if you happen to miss a show, don't worry. My podcasts are posted on Apple Music, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You'll find a direct link at chefjamie.com, which is all new, by the way. It's an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor because it is my goal to feed your soul and to make you hungry, of course. My daily dish is posted on social at Chef Jamie Gwen, by the way, and I hope that you'll become a friend and a fan. Coming up, oh, we have some good things to sip and savor on our plates today. He's back and I'm delighted. I call him the rock star winemaker, not only because he's one of the most beloved in the world, but because he happens to be a rock star. He loves and celebrates music and has for many, many years. And the overlap of wine and music is just perfect. You know him. He's Bob Cabral. His perfect 100-point score, the first for a North American Pinot Noir during his time at William Selyum, is not forgotten, but he is, and always will be to me, the winemaker of the year, this year and every year. And he's going into the vineyards, and he's going to fill our glasses and talk the season And of course, all about his wonderful wine. So stay tuned. Also, you don't learn it all in culinary school. It's true. Trust me. I know. There is inspiration and insight, lessons to be learned from chefs and restaurateurs and culinary professionals along the way. And all of that advice has been compiled into a book called Chef Wise, and we're going to dish all about it with Sherry Bayer. So please don't miss it. But first, I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts, one to make you the best cook you know. So the following is a brief science class on the molecular structure of cheese. It has a happy ending, I promise. Whether a cheese will or won't melt begins with molecular chemistry. And I get asked very often about the best melting cheeses. And because this one particular cheese, I can't wait to enlighten you about, albeit I'm sure you already know, you might just not be using it, is one of those few that doesn't melt, in fact. And to understand why a cheese won't melt, you have to grasp why a cheese will melt. To ooze or stretch, a cheese has to have a flexible network of proteins that is created by rennet and loosely held together by calcium phosphate. And when it's heated, the proteins move and they reform. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, a cheese that remains intact and doesn't melt has a rigid structure, right? 
Now I'm getting to the good part. So please stay with me. There are a handful of cheeses that don't melt. Queso fresco, Indian paneer, and oh, halloumi. I love the Greek cheese halloumi, and I will never forget eating it really beautifully golden roasted out of a, a, an aluminum foil packet in Greece walking the streets. There is something beautiful about the salty, briny, tangy, chewy halloumi. It is a non-melting cheese that resists high temperatures, and it stays together, essentially, because it is heavily textured and inflexible. Now, it is made with rennet, but it's pressed for a shorter time. It has a higher than usual pH, and then they dip it in hot whey, which kills the starter bacteria, and it prevents the development of that strong protein network. I think halloumi is just special. And you've been seeing it lately in recipes on every food website and on the internet because it's kind of ebbs and flows in popularity. But I think you should embrace it because if you haven't yet experimented rather with halloumi, you're really missing out. And the grilling season is a great time to keep halloumi in the fridge and throw it on the grill as the perfect cocktail starter, as a side dish, or to create an all new recipe of your own. Now I use it on salads, on the barbecue. I turn it into French fries. It's kind of fabulous actually. And it is often the main event when I make a vegetarian dish, when I have vegetarian or vegan friends come over. Um, It's a great go-to. It actually hails from the Mediterranean island of Cyprus It's made traditionally with a blend of sheep's milk and goat's milk, and it is firm and pure white and pleasantly salty, like similar to feta. Now, halloumi has a slightly springy texture to it. It's popular throughout the Eastern Mediterranean. It has a really creamy, mild taste when it's fresh, though it is most often aged in brine, so it does become salty and briny. And again, it holds its shape well under high heat. So it is often sliced and grilled or pan fried until golden and crusty and chewy in the center. Now I air fry my halloumi fries, by the way, and they're awesome. You have to make them. There is a statistic though that I thought was fascinating. I saw this past week, of course, inspiring this conversation. And that is that halloumi is making its mark because it has grown in popularity in the United States 72% over the past five years. Halloumi is actually quite healthy when it comes to cheese. It's got a great source of calcium. It is high in salt though. So if you have high blood pressure, you should limit your intake. Um, It's very low in carbs. So it's great for low carb diets. And the taste is really unique. It's not meant to be eaten plain. It should be warmed or grilled or otherwise fired up in order to be really truly enjoyed. And when you cook it, the saltiness does fade. It's very savory. It's slightly creamy. I think it's truly delicious. So buy some halloumi and get cooking and think of it kind of like the marshmallow of cheeses, right? Eaten plain. It's not that special. Although my son does love a marshmallow. 
He calls them smush pillows. Uh, but when you take a marshmallow over an open flame and you mix it with chocolate and a graham cracker, it's outrageous, right? Well, halloumi the same, not the chocolate or the graham cracker, but rather some source of heat and then something delicious to top it with. So I think halloumi goes beautifully like a caprese, tomatoes, fresh basil, even mint. Um, I love halloumi cooked with, um, let's say, a beautiful stone fruit of the season, like peaches, and a drizzle of pomegranate molasses. Um, it happens to be fabulous on pizza. You want to make sure that you put it under the broiler or a pizza oven so that you get that golden brown, but it just added, adds great tang. And then again, if you cut it into sticks, you can fry it and I shallow fry it or I'll drizzle with olive oil and air fry. Um, you can also grate halloumi if you like it fresh using a microplane. You can cook it in a skillet on top of the stove. Uh, you can throw it on the grill. Again, a little olive oil, salt, and pepper. Or you could cook it in an aluminum foil packet in your pizza or wood-fired oven, open at the top so that it gets golden brown and luscious. You could spoon some chimichurri or pesto over it. Hand me a spoon or fork, and I'll tell you... <laughs> I'll make it disappear. Yes, that's how good it is. Now you've learned how to cook halloumi. That's halloumi 101. Please let me know how your experiments turn out. You can always email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. Coming up, don't touch your dial. He is crafting beautiful wines. Yes, he still does it geniusly. Bob Cabral believes that he hasn't yet made his perfect wine. And so he's still picking and crushing and barrel aging. And you're going to want to hear all about it from this rock star winemaker, Bob Cabral, in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. And I'm thrilled. My favorite winemaker, the extraordinary worldwide talent who continues to propel his own name and his own wines to great heights because who doesn't love Bob Cabral? Bob Cabral has produced some of the best wines in the world. Raise your glass, diehard wine lovers, because rock star winemaker Bob Cabral's name has always been synonymous with the best of Sonoma County's Pinot Noir. He was winemaker at the world-renowned Williams Selyam. He received a perfect 100-point score, a first for a North American Pinot Noir, please note. And some years later, that same magazine tapped him as winemaker of the year. 
Well, today, as you know from him gracing this show, he continues to craft beautiful wines for his own label, Bob Cabral Wines, and they continue to get the attention they deserve. It is a family collaboration in small batches. Bob has been making wine since the 70s, and he's really gone back to his roots. I am very proud to know Bob Cabral, having been introduced by a rock star chef, in fact, my mentor, Emeril Lagasse, and the two of them still good friends, because who doesn't love to connect over Bob Cabral wine? His passion, his philanthropy, Bob, that is, and his wines are all top notch. And he's back to dish and catch up and tell us about his spring releases. And it has been too long. How are you, winemaker rock star? I'm great. How, <laughs> how are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing well, too. Thank you. And I am always grateful when you take the time to grace this show. Um, tell us about your spring releases, please. Virtually taste sure. us. So- so yeah. right now we have a couple of wines. It's our 2018 Chardonnay, mm-hmm. uh, Cuvée and Rose Chardonnay, um, which comes from two vineyards out on the Sonoma Coast, uh, one near the town of Occidental and one near the town of Freestone. Hmm. Um, Where you really like the soil. Yes. I yes. like those nice Gold Ridge and marine um, layer soils out mm. there. I like the cool fog. It helps bring a, through the acidity in the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. They're just uh, really nice, dynamic wine. Fabulous. And then uh, we also released a 2021 Rosé of Pinot Noir. Yes. And this is only the second time that I've made this wine um, because it's it's a little bit of a pain to make um, the <laughs> but way worth I'm, it. I'm trying to do this. Yes. Yeah. And what makes it what makes your process that much more difficult? Well, I do a lot of um, partial things. So it's partially skin fermented, which means that I'm watching the fermentation around the clock for about the first five days. So I've crushed the grapes. I start the fermentation. When I get the extraction that I want, a little bit of color, a little bit of tannin, I press off that juice and put it into basically neutral used barrels, uh, red barrels. And then I let it ferment for another three or four days. Once that fermentation gets going, um, Then I take those barrels, put them in a cold room for about 10 days, and then I rack them out of the barrels into stainless steel drums and let them finish the ferment very cold. Wow. So it's it's watching things and timing things that um, don't always coincide with the next pick that you have. Of course. The uh, barreling down, the next press load, so... Daily um, life. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> right. daily life, exactly, paying bills. Uh-huh, sure. You know, that kind of thing, even during harvest. So. Right. Uh, that's um, called a labor yeah, of love, Bob. And I've never, I've never known you not to do things with the labor of love. I mean, that's really your MO, right? Like your heart and soul, I've always felt, is in every bottle. And I've had the privilege of, of tasting with you. I don't think that wine lovers, and not all of them, but many of us, appreciate what goes into the bottle. I certainly don't think I did until I was at my first crush, my first harvest, and I thought, oh my gosh, we should be paying a million dollars for each of these bottles. It is a labor of love, and um, 
you know, I'm going into vintage number 44 and then having hmm. grown up around grapes and, and, uh, Unbelievable. and winemaking with my family, it's just something that um, I, I really enjoy doing. It's, it's the best part of the, the day when I'm racking barrels or I'm walking up and down a vineyard hmm. or we're putting blends together. Um, just before we spoke, I was working on barrel schemes, which are looking at spreadsheets and trying to figure out how many tons from this block are going to go into these types of barrels wow. for the 2023 harvest. And that's still interesting to me. It's just that I get um, I get kind of bored uh, doing computer work. Yes, but that's um, the business of winemaking, right? I mean, there, there's there's more than just the beauty of walking the vineyard. It makes you uh, an entrepreneur. It makes you a businessman. It keeps you on your toes to continually plan and organize and elevate and all of those things. And I, I can't imagine. I mean, you're planning for barrels for the next harvest, for 2023, as you said, that will then lay down that will then rest or lay down for how long uh the chardonnay stay in barrel for about 15 months and the Mm. pinots 16 to 18 months right you know just depends on the vintage but yeah (laughs) i believe that's Um, called hurry up and wait yeah you're making some pretty important decisions (laughs) sure and a lot of it also has to be changed a bit on the fly depending on the vintage of course and and like this this summer right now has been kind of cool up here in northern california yeah which is good. I, I'm not complaining at this point. I would normally see berries set in some of my vineyards by now, and, and we're actually in the middle of flowering, which means the grapes are self-pollinizing right now. So you're behind. And uh, all, all it means is that harvest, instead of harvesting in August, we're going to probably hard, start harvesting in September, which, sure. is, which is fine. Which um, is good. You're the only one complaining, Bob, that there is no sun. No, in- I'm not complaining there is no sun. <laughs> I'm just saying that there is no sun. There is no sun. <laughs> yeah, there uh, is no sun. In Southern California either, but I'm glad it's being good to your grapes. I And please excuse the ignorance because I have tasted beautiful Bob Cabral wines over the years, but I don't recall clearly seeing a Riesling in your collection synonymous with your eponymous label until this spring right. release. Right. So Am we, I is that right? Accurate? No, no, actually I started making Riesling. I brought some grapes down from the Yakima Valley uh in Washington oh, back really? in twenty sixteen. Okay. And started making Riesling. I pressed the, the juice out of the, the grapes and then put them into a uh, concrete amphora. It's about three hundred 320 gallon amphora. Wow. And I just let the fermentation go really slow in, in that. And I, um, and it takes anywhere from 60 to maybe 90 days to get the wine to go dry. It's a very dry style of Riesling. So high acid, low alcohol, you know, barely 12%. Um, Beautiful. And they age really well. So we're just now releasing. Or I should say in the fall, I think the 2018 Riesling was uh, released. Yes, I just um, I just ordered my bottles. We need to take a quick break, though, Bob. Please stay with us. More with winemaker Bob Cabral, you and me, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio right after this.
We're back and we're toasting. Bob Cabral, winemaker of the year, is here. I am a huge Riesling fan, and I would think that your chef conglomerate of friends would agree that it's so food friendly, um, especially a a drier, crisper Riesling, um, that I can't wait to sip it and and savor yours. What should I make? Oh, you can make all kinds of things. You know, it goes really great with, uh, last night, Heather and I had some Indian food. Oh, yes. Um, and the curries. And then depending yeah. on how much spice you really like, you know. Nice we, heat. We tend to go on that medium. You know, I'm not a real hot, hot uh, peppers like, you know, what we used to do with really hot, spicy Thai food or sure. Indian food. So I've toned that back a little bit. But these nice, crisp, dry Riesling, especially with some age on them, really um, kind of cut through the, that spice. And, and um, we had a, like a tiki marsala last night and mm. a shrimp. I'm trying to think. It was a shrimp dish in kind of a red curry sauce. Beautiful. Over some, you know, rice and vegetables. Sure, and, sure. Yeah. No, I'm thinking like Indian and, food, Thai food, Asian food, all beautiful yeah. compliments to Riesling. Yeah, I Love just it. got back in April from South Korea where they bought uh, about a half a pallet of my Riesling. Wow. And, um, How know, was that uh, trip? Tell us what you ate. That was, yeah, that was a great trip. We tried all kinds of things, you know. Um, what was funny, though, we ended up at the Sofitel uh, Hotel, the fine din- one of the fine dining restaurants, which was actually a French restaurant. And this chef was born and raised outside of Bordeaux, but had worked at various, hotels throughout the Caribbean and even Asia, and her food was just spectacular. It was, it, it was French food with an Asian flair, and huh. it went really well with my wines, just because I tend to like the lower alcohol, higher acid type of wine. Of course. Whether it's Riesling, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah. beautiful compliment. Wow. What do you yeah. expect of 2023's harvest? I know you said it will be late, uh, but yeah, it'll be well. It'll just be later than last year. Sure, it's more back to like what I would call normal. I moved up to Healdsburg in 1986, and hmm. you know, typically we would pick uh, Zinfandel and and uh, even the early Russian River Pinots in September, and then Sonoma Coast Pinots and Chardonnays in October. And you know, I think that's kind of the pattern we're going to see again this year. The only concern would be once we get into October, we can have a little bit of rain here and there. Right. But, you know, over the last, let's see, since 86, so have I been here almost 35, 36 years, something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, we've only had a couple of years where we really had to deal with uh, volumes of rain and had to make some quick decisions on whether to bring the fruit in or just leave leave it out. Sure. But right now, with all the winter rains we've had from, you know, last November through now, um, everything looks really healthy. Canopies are nice and healthy. The uh, flora, the trees around the vineyards, the oaks, the redwoods out on the coast look beautiful. beautiful. They've got a lot of new green growth. And so I think just... uh, um, 
in general, um, Sonoma County, Northern California is happy. The, the plants are happy. and Yeah, that's and, good. You know, I'm looking forward to a really good season. I, I think this will be a wonderful harvest. Fabulous. I am not a, a weather watcher, uh, albeit I'll tell you, I read an interesting article about El Nino and how we're anticipating or the experts are anticipating a very hot summer in California. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that affects us all. And um, for you, as you said, with the later harvest, if that will change the timing, I wonder. Yeah, it could speed it up a little bit. Sure. The uh, heat isn't a huge issue until we, the grapes go from green to purple, or what we call veraison. So once they go through veraison, then the the, um, the color material, the anthocyanins and the polyphenolics, you know, if it gets too hot, they'll kind of stop producing those, and we don't see the maturity uh, level that we would like to see uh, if it gets too hot too quickly. But again, you know, <laughs> I can't control the weather, so I really don't worry. I watch it, <laughs> but I don't worry about it. Yeah, I think I think that's a good approach, no doubt. Uh, tell us, if you would, about your overlap of wine and music in your life and, and if they're overlapping yeah. as of now? Well, it's kind of funny. You were talking about uh, the Riesling and how it goes well with food, right? Yeah, um, a longtime friend who Emeril actually introduced me to as well is Sammy and Gary oh, Hagar. Of course. And Sammy, um, he, just, he just bought like another 12 bottles of the uh, Riesling. <laughs> he, he, um, he really likes the, these kind of high acid whites and I saw him down at a show at the Fillmore, a benefit show for uh, children's cancer research about um, three weeks ago. How wonderful. And, um, you know, we just had a discussion. He really liked the Riesling. He's like, man, you got to make more of that stuff. And, and, uh, and so you will. Making more of it isn't actually an issue. It's more of finding the grapes. There just aren't a lot of Riesling um, plantings here in Sonoma County. Sure. Did you play with him? Were you up on the stage? No, I, I, you know, it's funny. I'm, uh, I'm at that point. I, I started before COVID meditating and I'm, I'm taking different time to myself and I haven't actually been playing that much. So mm. I've, I've thought about this over the last couple of weeks and that I, um, I was looking to get a, uh, instructor to, uh, work with, to kind of take me to that next level and get me back into, playing if i have somebody keeping me on task sure then i practice okay if 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 i don't then i don't practice i want you to know that i will buy the first ticket to the sammy hagar bob cabral concert series (laughs) and i'll be standing right next to the lagasse family so uh, we will all be there for sure Um, i hope that you'll come back and enlighten us uh after harvest Uh, to what we can anticipate and expect. For now, we are buying up the spring releases. I can't decide between the 2018 Cuvée Troubadour Pinot Noir and the 2017 Cuvée Troubadour Troubadour release. Um, So I'm... I'm buying both. Yeah, the 18, well, the 18 just needs a little more time. Sure. The reason reason these are all our current vintages, which would seem a little counterintuitive, I think, to most of your listeners and to most consumers. People would probably be buying 20s and 21s right now. 
But because of the structure of these wines and the intensity, Mm -hmm. I'm cellar aging them. And and if Heather and I aren't drinking them, we're not (laughs) going to release them. So uh, we're trying to age these wines so that when they're released, you can pop a couple of bottles enjoy them, and then still lay them down for another, you know, eight to ten years. Fabulous. Um, Wow. The one that's drinking really good right now, actually, is the 2015, which I think Heather only has a few cases in the library. But if you wanted to drink something right now, the 2017 Mm -hmm. is really good. And Mm -hmm. then the 2018, in my mind, as a winemaker, as a consumer, it still needs a a few more months. But Mm. Heather said she would... She was out of wine, and the the, the customers were getting restless, and they, <laughs> they wanted something else. So. Yes, well, Bo- Bob is, Cabral uh, loyalists do get restless. There is no yeah. doubt. Tell Heather thank you for opening up the stock. Um, I am always very flattered when you take the time uh, to dish with me and on this show, and I thank you, Bob, for being a longtime consummate supporter and friend. You know I will be a forever supporter of yours. Uh, kudos to you on what you continue to do and elevate in the wine world, and I do hope that concert comes soon. I hope so, too. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm going to go to a bunch of shows. Okay, good. I'll, I'll see you there. Uh, Bob Cabral okay. Wines is a small family winery owned and operated by Bob, Heather, and Paige Cabral, Crafting wines that touch your soul, no doubt. Bob has made wine professionally for, what, 40 years? And 40, 44, yeah. 44. As I believe you have said before, because I have heard it in your presence, you don't think you have made your best wine yet, right? So we're going to keep drinking. That's at least what you said to me last time I saw you. I agree. I'm still uh, I'm still looking for the Holy Grail, okay. but I'll find it one of these days. Yes, yeah. you will. You can learn yeah. more at bobcabralwines.com, order from the spring releases, follow at Bob Cabral Wines as well. Bob, thank you, thank you, thank you. Big hugs to you and the family. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Talk Enjoy to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. And you too. Thank you so much. Talk about rock stars on this show. Bob Cabral, you heard it here. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back. Informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. To become a great chef or to run a top restaurant, you need to learn from those who have already been there and done it, the chefs. In her first release, a unique and insightful book, author and entrepreneur Sherry Bayer has collected the wisdom of Michelin star celebrity chefs, rising professionals, restaurant owners, passionate food lovers all around the world to provide insider advice 
for those who are aspiring to be part of the culinary world or to better their culinary business. They offer inspiration, advice, life lessons. These leading chefs all compiled together, and it is a fascinating read. Sherry has over 30 years of experience in the hospitality industry, from working the floor at Charlie Trotter's to founding a New York City PR agency. And as the author of Chef Wise, I am delighted that she is here to dish. Welcome, Sherry, and congratulations. The book is a fabulous read. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the kindest introduction and for everything you've already said. I'm thrilled to be chatting with you about ChefWise. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, because I have enjoyed a page or two or three before um, before I crash late at night. Um, but I'll tell you, there's something very inspirational about the anecdotes, about the lessons. And I can only imagine, because it's so comprehensive, what it took you uh, to compile this information. And from a chef's perspective, I can tell you, I, I thought what it must have taken you to hound these chefs for insight. <laughs> um, give us some background in the making of ChefWise, if you would. Idea for the book was not to be a cookbook, not to be a re- no recipes, no photos, but more advice, life lessons. And so, put together um, an outline of chapters. I initially had four, uh, 12 chapters, which, as responses came in and I crafted the book together, turned into 14 chapters. Um, <laughs> but I had the, I had the, I had the chapters. I had sample questions from each chapter, and then through that, I started outreach to the chef. Um, started with chefs I knew around the world that I had relationships with, right. um, but this is going as far as to Julian Ro- Roer in, in Singapore mm. to uh, Paul Carmichael in Australia. So mm-hmm. so it wasn't just New York City or U.S.-based chefs, but really doing outreach. And um, I left it to the chef. Well, first, the response was really amazing. Um, people got back to me much faster than I anticipated, were very eager to be a part of it. And um, very supportive. Isn't and, that nice? Yeah, it was amazing. And even some people who I reached out to, and for some reason they couldn't participate in the book, a conflict of interest or just timing-wise, they were also very supportive. So I left it to the chef and how much they wanted to contribute and also how they wanted to get the information to me. Hmm. So most of it was by email correspondence. But some chefs I set up WhatsApp or Zoom interviews I had some chefs sent me voice memos in wow. that they recorded and sent it in, and then I transcribed it. And so it was <laughs> I love all it, it was all um, it was a big puzzle putting it together. Sure. But I have to say, the chefs the chefs were really great and very forthcoming, and and very um, they really opened up and shared like their hmm. their truth and what it really is like to be a chef and run a restaurant or you know, be in the industry. But it's those lessons that you might, you know, never get from uh, uh, Peter Gilmore, right? Um, that that frame or create the chef that you aspire to be. And I don't think it's just for industry professionals either. I think the philosophies and the business acumen in your book is is more encompassing than just for the food world. I would agree with all that. Yes, I think the book is definitely for young, aspiring chefs and cooks. They will get something out of it. 
but I, I do, I completely agree. It's not only for people in the culinary industry. It's a life lesson advice book, a lot of business advice in it. And it's mm-hmm. really and inspirational advice for anyone. Yes. With wide appeal to chefs, professionals in the industry, anyone who dreams of opening their own restaurant, wants real insight into the culinary industry itself. Uh, This is a a focus on chefs who have seen success, who have done the work, who have uh, fought the hard fight, and they're sharing their lessons. And it is because of Sherry Bayer and her connections and this beautiful industry that she has compiled all of this informative, insightful information into a book. Again, a fascinating read. It is entitled Chef Wise. And you can follow Sherry on social at Sherry Bayer, S-H-A-R-I-B-A-Y-E-R. The book is terrific and I look forward to continuing to read. I'm about halfway through, Sherry. As I told you, you're my nighttime reading now. Uh, So kudos to you and thank you um, for sharing the wealth of an industry that so many of us truly love. Well, thank you so much. I mean, everything you said really means so much to me, and Mm. I hope you continue to enjoy reading it, and all your listeners do as well. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I hope that you thought so. I am always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, where you'll find lots of inspiration. And my daily dish is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic conversation for this week. I am welcoming, begging, searching for summer. I live in SoCal and I'll tell you, we have had a gloomy spring, but the strawberries and the corn, they are coming into season and oh, are they sweet. And there is nothing better to me than a summery bowl of delicious sunshine made with summer's sweet corn. So whether you use the recipe now, you can get your hands on some fresh corn wherever it is you live, or you hold off until it's the peak of the season. You're going to want to stash this recipe because it's just so good and oh, so simple. Fresh, sweet corn, some good quality butter, a little bit of sweet onion, some chicken stock or vegetable stock, and a splash of cream makes for a really super simple, but absolutely beautiful sweet summer corn soup. And I will post the recipe now, once again, at Chef Jamie Gwen on social. And I hope that I'll see you here next weekend when I guarantee there is lots more fabulous food and wine and conversation in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off and I hope you continue to eat well. Well,